Good morning. Welcome to Aerosmith Baptist Church. My name is Leland Botsett. I am the lead pastor of the church here, and our text for this morning is Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The Scottish preacher, Sir Adam Smith, tells of the time when he and his guide were climbing in the Swiss Alps on a stormy day. They climbed on the sheltered side of the peak, and as they reached the summit, they were so overcome with exhilaration that Sir George forgot about the fierce winds and leaped up and was nearly blown over the edge of the summit. The guide grabbed hold of him and exclaimed, On your knees, sir. You are safe here only on your knees. This is where we find the Apostle Paul as we open our text for this morning. He begins with, I bow my knees before the Father. But Paul was not on his knees because it was a safe place. He's on his knees because he is praying for us, for the church of Jesus Christ. Now this is not Paul's first prayer in his letter to the church in Ephesus. There was another in Ephesians 1, verses 16 through 18, where he said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, uh, Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. These two prayers complement each other. The first prayer was a prayer for enlightenment, the second one for enablement. In the first Paul, in the first prayer, Paul went through a detailed explanation of the gospel, of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, the great mysteries of being chosen by God and how we share in the spiritual blessings in all the heavenly places, adopted by God in Christ, redeemed and forgiven through the revealed will of God, the great mysteries of being chosen by God, heirs of God, the assurances of salvation, sealed and guaranteed by the power of the Holy Spirit until the day we are united together with all things in heaven and all things in earth in Christ. The reason Paul then prayed was that the Spirit's uh, would enlighten the eyes of their hearts to the reality of what Jesus had done for them so they would fully know the power available to them in Christ. 
Paul writes, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In chapter 2, Paul again reminds us that God took the divine initiative to save us by his grace from his wrath and restore us back to his relationship that we were created for. Because all who come to the cross are reconciled to God, to one another. In chapter 3, Paul reminds us once more of the wondrous, breathtaking, magnificent, mysterious, powerful, glorious truths of what God has done for us and what he has planned for us and that he has shared with us in the first two chapters of Ephesians, encouraging those of us who are struggling in life that Christ has called us to do things in this life and the life to come that are much, much greater. Our prayer for this morning picks up at that point, which is also the closing point of the prayer in chapter 1. Yes, in Christ we have been created for something greater. And yes, Jesus has, we have been chosen by Jesus and called by Jesus and adopted by Jesus and redeemed by Jesus and forgiven through Jesus. And we have a great and glorious inheritance waiting for us. But now Paul makes it clear that we in the church must not only have our eyes opened to the knowledge of what God has done for us and what he has planned for us, we must not only fully know the power that is available to us in Jesus Christ, we must also pray that God would enable us to live out the immeasurable greatness of his power of the gospel that is available to us in Christ. In our text for this morning, we see how Paul prays for the power to fully live out the gospel in this life. In the text before this, Paul paints first a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. And then, because of sin, the world disintegrates into chaos. And there is division everywhere. Man against God, man against man, race against race, nation against nation. But then, he says, it was God's design and God's purpose to bring all those things back together into one through the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that all those things would happen through the church, the living presence of Jesus Christ on earth. The reason Paul is praying here is that the purpose and plan of God cannot come to fruition unless the church becomes impassioned for God and in love with Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Paul wants the church in Ephesus and the church in Port Alberni to powerfully live out what we have already learned about who God is, what God has done, and what God will do in us and for us in Jesus Christ. For this reason, Paul writes, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul pours out his heart and his soul in prayer here with an intensity and passion and humility would, that would be a bit unusual for him. 
you can feel that in that the normal posture for prayer among Jews was standing and standing with their hands stretched out and their palms upwards. But Paul is so overcome, so passionate for his desire to see the power of God's Holy Spirit take hold of us in the church that he prays, I bow my knees before the Father. Now this is more than just kneeling. This is a humble, dependent, needy, passionate gospel power that is the only thing that can lift us up to the expectations and to the glorious aspirations that God has for us. The best place that can be released is when we bow our hearts before God himself. How can we pray for the immeasurable greatness of the power that will empower us to powerfully live out what we have learned about who God is and what God has done and God will do for us and through us in Christ. Well, Paul tells us here that we as individuals and we as a church will know that power of God when we pray that God would powerfully transform our hearts. For this reason, he wrote, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, <clears throat> that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now it's significant that at the very first thing Paul says after for this reason, he goes to prayer. Paul understood what prayer is and what prayer does and how prayer works. Paul knew that Prayer was essential to find a solution in the midst of our desperate needs and difficult problems. And we can only really know God's power when we do pray. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Here we read the purpose and the, and the process and the answers to prayer should always be to the glory of God by reflecting and revealing God in all of his holiness and sovereignty and goodness and righteousness and glory. He also prays that the Holy Spirit would strengthen our inner being. Now, in Paul's day, the term inner being was understood to be our reason and our conscience and our will. And because all three of these elements of our inner being have been radically infected by our fall into sin, Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would work powerfully to overcome our fallen sinful nature and the power of that, that nature being defeated is a glorious power and that purpose for that glorious purpose and power or that so Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. Now in these words, Paul prays that we would be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus would literally make his home in our hearts. He uses the word dwell, and dwell is a strong foundational word that means taking up a, a permanent residence, a, a settling down. The strengthening of our inner being by the Holy Spirit results in a sense of God's Jesus being personally present in our hearts. 
And this is what biblical faith really is. Faith is not just believing Jesus died for our sins, but rather faith is believing Jesus died for our sins and also intimately knowing and inviting Jesus to live inside of us. If Jesus powerfully lives in our inner being, he is at the very core, the very center of our being, which means that our inner being is being constantly changed, constantly transformed. When Jesus dwells in us, we will never, ever be the same. Note Paul uses the word power and dwell together. Now power is the English translation of a Greek word, dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. And that is the kind of life that we are to be living for, for Jesus. A dynamic life, strong, mighty, potent, bold, explosive. If the risen Christ lives and dwells in our hearts, our faith will be explosive. Brothers and sisters, when the Savior dwells in our hearts, we will have more power inside of us than any problem, any pain, any predicament that we will ever face in this world. The power of the risen Jesus Christ lives within us. This is the the breathtaking, magnificent, deep, mysterious, awesome, beautiful, glorious truth of what God has planned for our lives here on earth. May we today begin living that immeasurable greatness of God's power. Paul prayed that God would empower us through his spirit so we would be changed when Jesus lives in our hearts. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Here Paul tells us the means by which our hearts are transformed when we pray is the love of Jesus. Paul prays God will give us the power of the deep overflowing love of Jesus, which comes as a result of being deeply rooted and deeply grounded in the love of Christ by embracing the unlimited love of Christ, by intimately knowing the overflowing love of Jesus. That you being rooted and grounded in love. One of the main themes uh, of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus is unity. In chapter 2, we read of God's call for unity through Jesus Christ among the Gentiles and the Jews who had come to faith so they might bury their differences and tear down the walls and barriers of their prejudice. This was the mystery of God's work, what Jesus Christ did among them. And in next week's text, we will see that bearing with one another in love makes us eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. God's call for unity among those of different races and backgrounds has specific application to us in the church today. Not only across the, the world, but on our continent. We are to put aside our personal opinions and differences for the purposes of God, even within our church family. 
In Christ, we are all the same. We all stand before God's throne with the same need of his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. Just as God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so we are to be rooted and grounded in that very same love. When the dynamic power of the indwelling spirit lives within us, we will love God and we will love others. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. In being rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus, Paul prays that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints the love of Jesus. The word comprehend here means more than just understand. Rather, it means to to lay hold of, to to seize, to take possession of. Paul has already prayed that we would understand. Now he prays that we would lay hold of, that we would seize the love of Jesus and take possession of it for ourselves. Paul's prayer here is that the church may, may somehow come to grasp the extent of the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Jesus Christ that has for us. In these words, it's almost as if the Apostle Paul is inviting us to to look up and look out into the universe, the unending skies above, the limitless horizons on every side to the depth of the seas below. And then he says, the love of God that he has for you is even bigger than all these things. So you should love others with the same never-ending boundaries. We are to seize God's love for ourselves since it is immeasurable and ever abundantly overwhelming and we are to share it and to pour it into others. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The word know here is not having knowledge or learning or understanding. Paul prays that we would know the love of Jesus in a way that surpasses knowledge. Know here is know in the biblical sense of knowing, which is like knowing someone that you have a very intimate relationship with. In Jeremiah 1, verse 5, God told Jeremiah, Before I formed, formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So biblically, to know someone is to have a, such a single-hearted passion for them that your greatest heart desire is to bless them with all that you are and all that you have. In marriage, while we know our spouse loves us, we still want to know that intimately by experience. God knows you and I that way through the love that Jesus Christ has for us. Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit relentlessly pursue us so they can love us. God's passion is for our hearts. God's desire is to bless us abundantly. The problem is we don't know how to love God in the same way. We have other loves. We have other desires. We have other passions which draw us away from knowing God the way that he knows us. But we can. We can know God at that level when the power of his Holy Spirit is dynamically working through us by the indwelling of Christ, 
when we seize that power being rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus. Jesus loves us wildly and unashamedly. Jesus loves us in some ways. His love is unknowable as his riches are unsearchable. But in reality, we really desire the same intimacy of Christ's love that he desires and wants for us. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer writes, In the last analysis, what matters supremely is not the fact that I know God, but the larger fact that underlies that is that God knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of God's mind. All of my knowledge of God depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know God because he first knew me, and he continues to know me. God knows me as one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off of me. His attention is never distracted away from me, and no moment does his care for me falter. There is a tremendous relief in knowing that God's love is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge about the worst that is inside of me. And there is no way I can quench his determination to bless me with his love. The means by which the indwelling Christ powerfully changes our hearts is the deep, unlimited, overflowing love of Jesus. And Paul says, pray for that so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? When the Christian French philosopher Blaise Pascal died, they found sewed inside the lining of his coat a diary entry of an experience that he had for two hours one night in 1654. He wrote that he experienced God's love as a fire and he never forgot it. It so much impressed him, he sewed the record of that event in the lining of his coat so it would always be close to his heart. The great evangelist George Whitfield often found that when he prayed at night, he began to experience God's love so powerfully that he couldn't get to sleep. So much so, he often would ask God to stop so he could get some rest. Jonathan Edwards wrote that meditating on Scripture, he became overcome with the love of Christ and that a sense of the glory of the divine being, a new sense quite different from anything I've ever experienced before, filled his heart. The great great evangelist D.L. Moody was walking down the streets of New York City in the late 1850s, and while he was praying for more of God, suddenly, he writes, God came upon me as I have never forgotten. And I've experienced so much love poured out into my heart that I had to ask him to stop. To be filled with the fullness of God is to be so filled with the fullness of God's deep, unlimited, overflowing love through Jesus Christ, which is ultimately the ultimate purpose for each one of us. The Apostle Paul wrote, excuse me, the Apostle John wrote, and the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as only from the Son, from the Father, grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. In Colossians 2, 
Paul said, for in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of God, of deity, dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, filled with God, who is the head of all rule and authority. And this is not God's ultimate, not only God's ultimate purpose for each one of us, but it also is for the church. In Ephesians 1.23, we are told that the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. About 40 years ago, two boxers met in a boxing ring to fight for the world lightweight boxing championship. One boxer was a 31-year-old Scotsman, and the other boxer a 25-year-old man from the United States, six years younger than the Scotsman. The Scot was reigning lightweight champion, and the 15-round fight was being fought before a crowd of 20,000 people in his hometown in Glasgow, Scotland. The champion had said before the boxing match that he, he would rather die than be by beaten in front of his own people. In spite of the fact the younger, the younger contender was from the U.S. and had never been beaten in the boxing ring. Soon after the bout began, it became clear the battle would not be easy. In fact, it would be hard fought and maybe even too close to call. But as the rounds went by, something happened un unlike anything that's ever happened before in a championship boxing fight. While the rounds went on, while faint at first, it wasn't long before singing could be heard. Gradually it became louder until hundreds and hundreds and then thousands of male voices could be heard singing a strange Scottish melody, singing encouragement to their hometown champion as he fought for the crown. Just as those in Glasgow, Scotland, sang encouragement to the hometown boxer who was fighting for his crown, so is Paul singing encouragement to us in the church as we fight for our crown in Jesus. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. What I see in these words is that God is saying to us as a church, I can do more at Aerosmith than you have ever asked or thought. And so I imagine if we ask God for the power to do more than we could ever ask or think, and then God does things far beyond what we've asked and thought, we would then humbly and gratefully look up to him and he would say to us, I can do more. And so we would ask again for even more power to do even more than we've ever asked or thought. And we would ask and look to God again and he would say, I can do more. And each time we would stretch our faith in him beyond what we thought possible, beyond what we thought, God would always say, I can do more. God is at work in the hearts of many people in our church. But I pray we would want more. 
I pray we would want more of the power of the Holy Spirit changing our hearts by the indwelling Jesus. I pray we would want to be more rooted and grounded in the deep love of Jesus. I pray we would want more intimate knowing and more overflowing love of Jesus. I pray we would want to be more filled and more filled with the fullness of God's love through the love of Jesus. More and far abundantly than we would ask whatever we would think. The Apostle Paul prayed that the Holy Spirit would fill us with the love of Jesus Christ so that we would be empowered to live out our lives reflecting the riches of the glory of God. I pray we would shake off the worldly addictions and futile dissatisfaction that we have in this life for an ever and deeper, richer aspiration of God. I pray we would yield our hearts and lives to the voice of the Holy Spirit's call to step up to home plate and swing for the fence because God only hits home runs. I pray we would know the love of Jesus with such a power that others would come to know powerfully the love of Jesus. I pray we would want much more of a greater story than just our own story. The greater story here is that the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus was not planned, was not purposed by God to get us to heaven. Jesus died and rose from the bed so that we would live out heaven here on earth. Paul did not pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us with the love of Jesus so that we would know salvation. Paul prayed for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us with the love of Jesus so that we would live out our salvation. We are not called by God to defend the gates of heaven. We are called by God to storm the gates of hell with the love of Jesus for the glory of God. And as we fight for that crown of glory in this life and the life to come, we will continue, I pray, to hear Paul and a heavenly host in the heaven singing us a glorious song of encouragement. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how good it is to be among those whom you've called to glorify yourself. We are blessed. And how blessed we are to have been called out of our spiritual darkness and eternal death and brought into the light of the glorious grace of the gospel and how you've blessed us with new life in Jesus. Sovereign God, we are, we are grateful to be members of the body of Christ and that in the ages we know you will demonstrate your goodness in everything that you've done for us and in us and through us. But, O oh Lord, today we come to you before today in, in the midst of, of trial and trouble as the landscape of our world and our community and our lives are being consumed with wave after wave of violence and division and suffering and death. And we, we know, O oh Lord, that we all in different ways are, are part and parcel to this. We are also, though, called by you to be the solution to these things. 
So, Father, Lord, in your word, you have told us that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Almighty God, we've heard you today. We ask that you would pour yourself into us so we might pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us to the overflowing with the love of Jesus so that we would be empowered to live out our lives that shine with the riches of the glory of your grace so the world might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.